leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me, a very special guest, a co-founder of the Duncan Dynasty podcast, Mr. Anthony Brown is back after a long hiatus. Anthony, it's great to have you on. It's great to be back. Now, uh, of course, you moved to Chicago, and we are recording this live in the Windy City. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell the people what you've been up to since you've been last on the pod. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to grad school now, so I'm getting my master's in social work uh, from University of Chicago. It's been a really busy year, but got a little bit of a break here before my study abroad trip to India, which will be next week. So keep them busy. Yeah, and uh, I came here to visit you. We we've done the uh, the the pizza taste test. We tried Lou Malnati's and Gino's. That's we had right. a little bit of a difference of opinion on that, but uh, <laughs> they, we we both thought both were delicious. And we did. Uh, we we thought it would be a good time to uh, to bring back the MJ versus LeBron debate. Of course, uh, if you guys have been listening to us since the inception of the show, you've uh, you know that we we love this topic. We've discussed it. On numerous occasions, this will be part five of that series. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we've in the past kind of gone more of a, a general conversation on it. And then more recently, we did kind of the uh, the top 20 playoff performances for both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for this part five episode, I thought we would discuss more of the regular season value. You know, obviously, both of them are primetime playoff performers, and they both elevate their level to new heights during the postseason and in some of the biggest moments of their careers. But, you know, I get that people don't value the regular season as much. It isn't as important, but it still has some value. It matters in terms of seeding. It matters in terms of even getting into the playoffs, which we're going to talk about here in a moment with LeBron in this past season. Uh, But, uh, yeah, how how much value do you place on on the regular season performance and production from a player? Yeah, I mean, I think... Obviously, finals performances and playoff performances are 
uh, a big factor. And like you said, one of the things that I really love about LeBron and Jordan is that they're able to raise their uh, level of play in the postseason. But I really love about, uh, and maybe it's a more old school mentality, but like showing up every game ready to play. Obviously, I, I like uh, from a performance aspect and from a safety aspect that we do a better job of maybe looking at players' minutes and trying to keep players healthy, letting players play for a longer you know, amount of time and their quality of life is better after they retire. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's something about people who just every time they're on the court showing up ready to play and not taking games off, you know? Yeah, and, and the sports science has shown that you know, playing three to four games a week is pretty detrimental to your body and it can increase the likelihood of injuries, um, which is, it's so amazing that a guy like Michael Jordan, after that broken leg in year two, yeah. uh, that he played 80 games every season, essentially, and rarely got hurt. And LeBron's been the same way. Sure. And, you know, for the people that are on the LeBron side of this argument, they'll also talk about with the, the, the three-point line and how popular that has become, Defense is that you cover so much more ground. You know, if, if you could actually track, I mean, they, they do track movement data now, mm. but players are moving so much more than they used to. So playing 82 games every season in this day and age may not be realistic like it was back in Jordan's day. Yeah, that's a good point. That's something I haven't really thought of with having that three point line out there, maybe moving a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I know I. I don't know how I, I'm interested to get your perspective on this. Uh, I feel like there might be some people who would say like the physicality of, of maybe the 90s and the 80s might have also been, you know, pretty tough on, on people's bodies as well. Yes. So I wonder how maybe that would translate like the physicality as opposed to, you know, the literal miles that you're running on the court. I remember like Kobe doing work uh, that that uh, Spike Lee documentary on Kobe where they actually tracked his as like how many miles he ran in one NBA game? Right. I forget how much it was, but it was it was a lot. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's really fascinating, and yeah, the um, the whole the whole idea of you know you mentioned the physicality in Jordan's day and how it was a lot more difficult even just driving the basket because I think a big turning point, and this was after Jordan retired, was that melee in the palace. Yeah, uh, yep. you know, between the Pistons and Pacers and, you know, the, the scene where our test runs into the stands and, and causes a, a riot, essentially. The NBA cracked down at that point and really tried to focus on, okay, any flagrant fouls we're going to be very strict on, you know, we're, um, you know, any sort of situation with players and fans getting into it, it it's not going to be okay. Right. And, you know, you, you watch a game from the 80s and it almost seems like every game there's some sort of a, you know, a commotion or a, a fight that's about to break out. Mm -hmm. Another big incident, I think, was in the late 70s. I believe it was Kermit Washington and Ruby, Rudy Tomjanovich, who okay. eventually became the, the coach of the Houston Rockets. But, right. uh, but Washington punched him in the face and, and broke a bunch of bones in his face and, and I believe, wow. basically ended his playing career. 
Uh, so, you know, back in the day, there was some, some very violent things going on. <laughs> and, you know, the, the whole idea of the Jordan rules as well was really the Pistons were the, of the mindset that if he comes into the paint, we're going to not only foul him, but foul him in a way that really punishes him and makes him not want to come back to the basket. Right. Uh, so, so Jordan, after a couple of years playing them, kind of refocused his training on getting stronger and building muscle to be able to take those hits and still continue to play. But yeah, it is fascinating to think about and and you know the the idea that back in the day the the airlines weren't as as great. That's you know the too. accommodations weren't as great. So even though yes, players in today's day and age have to move around so much more than they used to, there are some benefits as well. Yeah, I I think of that like Jordan's response to the Pistons and the Jordan rules was to work even harder with his uh, trainer Tim Grover, I believe. Uh, to build up his body and I feel like that was still at a time where maybe the conventional wisdom was still you shouldn't lift that much because that'll throw off your shot and I think Jordan was maybe a trendsetter with that if he was lifting on game days as well he didn't change his workout schedule uh, for that and uh, really build up his body during that time to be able to take those hits Um, yeah I think it's really interesting yeah and, and both Jordan and LeBron really did a great job and, and LeBron still of right. taking care of their bodies. LeBron has been known to have uh, have spent like essentially a million dollars a year on his body, yeah. you know, uh, replicating the team's weight room in his own house. That's wow, <laughs> that's fascinating. Yes, it is it is amazing how much uh, how much these great athletes put into it to to keep themselves at an elite level. But uh, I, I, I wanted to get this sort of regular season value discussion going in terms of uh, some of the stats, and there are a lot of similarities. Uh, looking at, uh, you know, I, I looked at and compared the two of their stats, and the comparison that we're going to be doing is from their ages 21 to 34 seasons. Yeah. And MJ retired at the after his 34-year-old season after the 98 Bulls championship, yeah. completing that three-peat. LeBron's age 34 season was this past year with the Lakers. Um, and I also cut out the first two years of LeBron's career to match up the starting points because, of course, LeBron came out of high school and MJ stayed a couple of years in college. Sure. But uh, comparing the, the ages 21 through 34 seasons, uh, in terms of a couple of the advanced stats, one is value over replacement player, which is an advanced stat that's, that's widely used. Michael Jordan has about eight, 8.9 VORP. And LeBron is at 8.4, so relatively close there. Sure. Uh, another interesting <clears throat> stat is the box plus minus, and okay. that kind of factors in, you know, the teammates that you're playing with, but then also the regular box plus minus stat in terms of how how well your team performs while you're on the floor versus when you're on the bench. Interesting. And, and that stat, LeBron actually has a little bit of an edge. He's got 9.7 oh. box plus minus versus Michael Jordan's 9.2. Interesting. Um, so that could also, you know, there are other factors involved there, like, you know, how how good your bench is. You know, Michael Jordan's teams didn't have great benches, and, and for a lot of LeBron's careers, his teams haven't had great benches either. True. Uh, but uh, LeBron does get a bit of an edge. I think the one that really separates MJ, though, mm. in this discussion is win shares, which mm. essentially is, is trying to factor in uh, as as well as you possibly can, how many wins you're adding to a team's season just by you being out there on the floor. And uh, MJ's average win share was was 18.2. 
Uh, and again, that's uh, minus uh, his 85-86 season when he broke his leg and also the season uh, in which uh, he came back in 94-95 and only played about a quarter of the season. Yeah. So we did not include those as well. So LeBron uh, finishes at 14.8, MJ at 18.2. Hmm. LeBron would get a little bit of a boost if we took out this last season in which he only played 55 games. Right. Uh, and then also, hmm. uh, you know, that lockout shortened season in 2012. Hmm. But uh, overall, you know, just looking at some of those advanced stats, they're, they're pretty even. They are pretty even. Uh, And I think I've said this in in previous uh, discussions about LeBron and MJ. I feel like these two players stand, like, set themselves apart from maybe any other players that have ever played. uh, And just in terms of what they've accomplished with the help that they've accomplished it with. They both came into the league to teams that had historically been terrible for long stretches of time, turning those franchises around with probably subpar help. And building that team around them and able to lead that team to to the finals. I think it's both uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, very close. Yeah. Now, uh, another stat I looked into is I I tried to uh, look into Michael Jordan and LeBron's team's offensive and defensive ratings Mm -hmm. to try to to get a grasp of how great these regular season teams are and how consistently these guys elevate their, their teams on both ends of the floor. Yeah. And... Uh, looking at the average offensive rating for Michael Jordan, his team finished with an average of uh, of sixth in the league on the offensive end of the floor, hmm. and uh, LeBron finished at eighth uh, as an average. Um, so the the best offensive seasons for Jordan was uh, in ninety one, ninety two, ninety three. So that original three beat, they were either one or two on offense every one of those seasons. Yeah, and then in ninety six and ninety seven, those first two years of the second three beat. They were also top two in the league. Yeah, that is really impressive. And I mean, when whenever we're talking about like you know top teams of all time, we usually end up bringing up some of those Jordan teams of like which of those Jordan teams deserves to be in that conversation. You know, um, that's really amazing. But I mean, again, close with LeBron with you know at eighth. But interesting that he doesn't have any one or uh, second place finish. Yeah, now. He, he's got uh, quite a few threes, fours, and fives. He finished That's top true. five in offense in the 09 season, so the second to last season in Cleveland. Uh, his first season in Miami, mm. and then the 2013 season in Miami where they won 66. Yeah. And then the final season in 2014 with the Heat, and then all four years in Cleveland he was in the top five in offense. Yeah. And, you know, compared to those Jordan teams that finished first or second in the league, uh, some of the better offensive teams in LeBron's era were a little bit historically greater. You know, you're mm. dealing with those Golden State Warriors teams. Even these Houston Rockets teams the last couple of years have been some of the greatest offenses of all time. So finishing third behind them is, is still pretty damn good. That's a really good point. I'm glad you bring that up. That's, uh, yeah, that, this Warriors team is, is pretty insane with that and some of the other ones you mentioned. Now, uh, looking on the defensive side of the floor... Uh, Michael Jordan's average team defensive rating throughout his career finished 8th overall. Hmm. And uh, no worse than 20th. Uh, he, he did finish 20th and 19th in a couple of his early seasons in the league. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in, in 1988, he finished top 5, which I believe that was the first year Doug Collins came to the Bulls. Okay. And uh, Collins, you know, was known as this really great defensive coach, and he immediately sort of built that team up. 
but then also in a lot of those championship years, 92, they finished in the top five defensively, and then all three of those seasons on the second three-peat with Rodman and Pippen uh, as his, his two main supporting cast teammates. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, LeBron's average team defensive rating throughout his career uh, at 11, you know, still still not bad. Right. Uh, and then uh, the, the issue, though, with LeBron, as you talk about, uh, that that last season in Cleveland, they finished 29th mm. in defensive rating, and uh, he he has been considered by some around the NBA community as one of the worst defenders in the league in terms of it from an effort standpoint. Um, so that has been an issue, especially later in his career. But again, I think a lot of people would go to the fact that the mileage that he has, he's already played way more minutes in his career than Jordan ever did. So, you know, if you if you factor in, okay, let's say Jordan never retired in, in uh, after the 93 season, played in all of 94 and 95, and then, you know, how would he look in 99? He probably looked like a, a slower, more run-down player. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, a lot more mileage on Jordan, like being able to sit out those those few seasons probably helped. Um, I do think, you know, when we're talking about efforts, I think one of the advantages of having a player like Jordan who was so focused on not just every game but every practice making it like, you know, game intensity, right? Yes. Everyone's going at it every single time. I do think it does something to set the tone for the team and leading by example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like not just developing, uh, helping to develop players like Scottie Pippen. I'm not one of those people who say that Jordan made Pippen. I think Pippen was an all-time great on his own. Uh, but I think he definitely benefited from that competing against Jordan. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is like, I wonder what your thoughts are on having someone like Jordan setting that tone and leading by example shutting down the other team's best defensive or offensive player every game, um, do you think that that translates into the postseason a little bit better? Or is it better to do maybe what LeBron's trying to do, conserve that energy, get to the playoffs, and then raise that level to where he's been putting up, like you said, some of the best postseason performances we've seen in a long time, maybe ever? Yeah, I think because typically... You know, I, I think with both MJ and LeBron, the offenses pretty much revolve around them. Sure. So offensively, I think what LeBron does, it works. Yeah. You know, like, um, I think even during the regular season, he, he conserves a lot of his energy on defense and, and puts most of it towards the offensive end of the floor. Right. But he's able to, um, even if he's not going full tilt in the regular season on the offensive end, he's able to just step it up a level and his teammates can, can still play because the ball's going to be in LeBron's hands. They're not doing anything different. They're just probably getting more open looks, you know, more opportunities because defenses are having to hone, hone in more on LeBron. So I think offensively, you know, that, uh, as you said, maybe taking it easy, conserving energy a little bit is okay. But I think where it really has an impact is defensively. Yeah. And why I think as LeBron has gotten older, his teams on the defensive end have gotten worse and worse. Although last year, the Lakers were a respectable 12th. Sure. But, um, you know, yes, practicing and developing the habits of, of making proper rotations and putting in the effort on closeouts and chopping your feet and making sure you don't just get blown by every time and enforcing that help that is is really detrimental where a guy has to help really soon so then the ball handler has a lot of time to determine that when he's when and where he's going to pass the basket. Yeah. 
No, I think it's really interesting. And uh, I, I do, I've watched a lot of different interviews from a lot of Bulls players over the years. Uh, and I've heard people like Steve Kerr and others, you know, say that watching Scotty and watching Jordan go all out in practice, you know, even on defense, taking charges and stuff like that. It makes it where like the Judd Bushlers of the world are like, yeah, I'm going to take a charge too, like without a second thought where, you know, not to take away from LeBron's teammates, but I wonder if that, how that plays into it, you know, but like we're saying, it still is very close. We're talking about Jordan's Def- team's defensive ratings as 8 and LeBron's as 11. So yeah. it's not like there's a landslide difference here. It's very close when we're comparing these players. Yeah, and, and Le- uh, to finish out LeBron's team defensive uh, stats... Sorry. No, uh, no, no. Uh, I, I didn't get to it earlier. Uh, he his, uh, his team with Cleveland in 2007 and 2009 both finished in the top five on the defensive side of the floor. And then his first uh, two seasons in Miami in 11 and 12, they they also finished in the top five. Mm-hmm. So not quite, uh, you know, the, the amount of top fives that Jordan experienced, but, um, yeah. you know, still still solid. And the other thing that I think uh, w- would be interesting to talk to you about is the idea that, you know, obviously LeBron has led, has led historically great offenses throughout most of his career. We, we mentioned earlier that, all four seasons in Cleveland, they were top five offensive teams sure. with the likes of the Warriors and Rockets in the league. And, you know, having some historically great teams in the league being top five is very impressive. Sure. Uh, and, you know, he did it in his last couple of seasons in Miami as well. But last year, they finished, uh, the Lakers finished 24th in, in offensive rating in the league. Yeah. And a big talk going into last offseason was, you know, Magic Johnson and Rob Polinka not getting the appropriate personnel around LeBron, the, the not having the shooting. And, you know, his game is very much, he's a great passer. He's, uh, you know, he's 6'8", 280, and he can get to the basket. So it's a kind of a, like Giannis, a pick your poison. And... Though, again, with how they built that team, the Lakers, and their organization is they didn't get those shooters. So LeBron had to maybe rely a little bit more on just taking difficult threes. And when he got into the paint, either forcing up shots or kicking it out to guys that just were not knocking them down. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of, you know, maybe that dip that we saw this year with him, if you can call it a dip, because, I mean, he still had a great personal statistical year. Uh, yeah, it's uh, that it's hard to win games and keep your team afloat when you don't have the personnel around you, especially at his age. We're talking about Jordan, where you know he retires at 34, with still you know Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and Phil Jackson and a great team around him, even though they were starting to get a little older. Um, yeah, it makes it tough. Now, I'm curious to hear your thoughts in terms of. You know, I think the the difference between like a LeBron James and a James Harden right now mm. is that the personnel around them doesn't really matter. Like, I think James Harden, even if you put four non-shooters around him, or yeah. like a guy like Steph Curry, we saw it in the finals. I, I showed you Game Three. We saw some of that where Clay was out, Durant was out. They had very little shooting, but Curry was still able to with his three-point shooting, his gravity. Uh, and his ability on the offensive end, he was still able to make that at least a decent offense. I think James Harden has had that ability at least again in the regular season with the Rockets teams. You know, there were there were times this season where Paul was hurt and Clint Capella, and there was you know real limited personnel on that Rockets team. But Harden, with his ability to hit step back threes, was just able to carry the offense despite that. Right. 
So what's your thoughts on, you know, the idea that LeBron, you know, was not able to lift that Lakers offense despite the limited personnel, the limited shooting, and maybe Jordan and his ability to potentially carry an offense despite not having the greatest supporting cast? Yeah, it, I think this goes back to, you know, something we've talked about a lot, uh, you know, with kind of just the style of play versus Jordan versus James, and, you know, maybe with, uh, with Curry and, and Harden too. Jordan was a scorer first. He could do a lot of other things on offense. He was, I thought he was a, a pretty good passer, obviously not on LeBron's level, uh, not as good of a three-point shooter, but could knock down shots. He was going to attack the basket every single time unless you double-teamed him. And he's going to get those pull-up jump shots, and he was deadly with mid-range. Right away, too. Right, you know, right as he came into the league, he was deadly with that mid-ranger. Exactly. And then added to his game as well with post-ups and everything else. Uh, and, and what I love about that is it puts constant pressure on the defense. The defense has to respect where he's at. Uh, we talked about it when we were watching one of, those, uh, one of the playoff games uh, you know, earlier today. You know, uh, like Curry, if you aren't, and like uh, you know, Leonard with uh, his playoff run, if you're not double-teaming him and just being like, oh, we'll let him beat you, he's going to beat you. <laughs> and the Cavs, we saw that with the Cavs throughout the 80s and 90s. Uh, Lenny Wilkins was like famously like, I'm not going to double-team uh, Jordan. We're going to let him beat us if he's going to beat him. Well, he ends up putting all-time great playoff performances on them every single time and knocking them out of the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so I think a similar thing with Harden, you can take maybe a subpar cast of characters around him because he's constantly requiring a double or triple team. And then if you pass out of that double or triple team, it's way easier for those maybe subpar players to score. Now, I mean, not saying LeBron doesn't put pressure on the other team, but I think he's got the skills and the ability to score to put that pressure on the team, I think maybe I would like to see a little bit more of that. Maybe that could have translated with this team. What yeah. are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think the fact that Jordan could get to his pull-up and knock that down pretty consistently and get to the rim really makes it a little bit more indefensible in terms of playing one-on-one. Whereas I think one of the things about LeBron's offensive game, you know, he always makes the right play, which is a great sure. you know, thing to have. Uh, and, you know, Magic Johnson played that way. There's been a lot of great players that played that way and to, to great success. But he never had like that. He's still, in my mind, even though he's, he's gotten a lot better with the, with the fadeaway jumper as well, he hit a bunch of those in that series in 2018 against the Raptors and just killed them. But he, has, he doesn't have that one, like, move where he'd say, okay, this is the LeBron move. You know, if you watch a kid in the driveway, is there one thing that you can say, okay, if you do this, I'll know that's what LeBron was. Right. You know, (laughs) he doesn't have that. And so at times he's not able to just carry an offense uh, like I think a guy like Michael could. But, you know, speaking to the the regular season value, obviously uh, the, the, the big point that happened since we've last done one of these discussions, is that LeBron missed the playoffs this year with the Lakers. Now, of course, he uh, going on Christmas Day, they were the fourth seed in the West, and he goes down in that game against the Warriors with his first real muscle strain of his career and misses a good chunk of games, ended up, again, only playing 55 games this season. Uh, and, you know, the, the Lakers obviously went in a kind of a downward spiral, spiral as soon as he left, and they were out of the playoff picture when he came back 
they still had a chance if they played well down the stretch, but he wasn't able to, to get that turned around. How much do you do you factor that into like looking and, and saying that that is a, an asterisk of some kind on LeBron's career? Do you or do you kind of say you know what they the the Lakers did a poor job of putting a, a team around him? They uh, you know and and the fact that he he had that big injury, uh, you know how how big of a deal is that when we're talking about this argument and and LeBron's legacy? Yeah, I mean i I do think we need to factor that in. Uh, I, I do think it would be unfair to like make a direct comparison between the 98 champion bulls and this Lakers team. Uh, you know, I, I think if Jordan goes down in 98, the bulls are still probably going to make the playoffs and do really well. Uh, but, uh, but that bulls team had far more talent than the Lakers with this Lakers exactly. team without LeBron. Exactly. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I would say it's an asterisk necessarily, um, because I would, you know, uh, uh, we're, we're talking about the greatest players to ever play. And I don't know, like, it, this is a very, like a hypothetical, but like trying to think of what a 34 year old Jordan would do with that team. If he goes down and comes back, would he have been able to lead that team? Um, a 34 year old Jordan with maybe 2000 more minutes on his, with, on his exactly. odometer. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's definitely a fact. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Do you think yeah, it's an I, I I don't look at it uh, too much. I, I think um, uh, I, I I have talked in the past that I think LeBron's regular season value isn't as good as Jordan, and that yeah. I felt that way even prior to last season. Yeah. So that is one of the big differentiators in terms of why I think Michael Jordan is still better than LeBron. But I don't look at last season and say, "Oh, well, it's you know, I I consider the difference so much more than I did previously." Yeah, it's about the same. For yeah. Me too. Um, the 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 last thing I wanted to talk about this is doesn't have to deal with the LeBron MJ argument, uh, but uh, it is a, a guy that I've uh, while while I've been here in Chicago, I've shown you a few of the uh, games of Kawhi Leonard in this 2019 postseason run, which culminated in a championship. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's one of three players in NBA history now to win two finals MVPs with two different teams, along wow. with LeBron with the Heat and Cavs and Kareem with the Bucks and Lakers. Right. Yeah, so yeah. pretty elite company there. Uh, we we watched game one of the, the Raptors Sixers series in mm-hmm. which Kawhi shot 16 of 23, a very Jordan-esque shooting shooting line. It really was. And then uh, we, we watched the highlights of Game 2 of that series. You also saw Game 5 of the Bucks series in which he maybe had uh, arguably his best passing game of his career where he, he uh, assisted on all seven of Fred Van Fleet's three-point shots. <laughs> um, and then uh, we watched uh, the majority of Game 3 of the finals as well where the Raptors kind of were able to, to take control of the series with the Warriors not having Clay Thompson out there on the floor. But uh, what were your thoughts on uh, on watching Leonard? I know you hadn't seen a lot of him pri- prior to this, but uh, and, and you know not only his play, but then how he kind of compares to what you've seen from Michael Jordan yeah. in all of your studies, right? <laughs> all of my studies, yes, lots and lots of hours of study, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I don't can't remember if it was last season as well, but definitely this season, you were telling me that um, you know making some comparisons of Kawhi Leonard to Jordan on the offensive side. I've heard maybe some on the defensive side, but on the offensive side, I was like, that's a pretty bold claim 
We're talking about one of the best offensive players of all time, if not the best offensive player. Um, and I remember also seeing someone on ESPN on one of the shows, and sometimes they can be kind of hyperbolic, but someone said that Kawhi Leonard offensively is the closest thing we've seen to Jordan. And immediately, like, there was alarms going off in my head. I'm like, Kobe? I mean, are we forgetting <laughs> about Kobe? Like, I was very pleasantly surprised. I think it's pretty accurate to maybe say some of those claims. Very, uh, very Jordan-like in, I think, how smart of a player he is and how well he's picking his spots yes. within the offense. Uh, one of the things we talked about, too, in one of the games where the rest of his team was doing pretty well scoring-wise, and he was able to kind of take a back seat, still get like a quiet 20 points into the third quarter, but he's getting assists, he's getting rebounds, and keeping his team in, in the game. And as soon as his team starts missing some shots, he turns it on again and starts yes. putting some scoring uh, going there. And then also, you know, very consistent from the foul line as well, putting constant pressure on the defense with attacking the rim. Um, yeah, it was surprisingly Jordan-like, which is not something I would have ever thought I would say again. Yeah, you know? yeah. The the thing that that reminds me of Jordan in terms of Kawhi's performance uh, is you know not only the you know putting up the efficiency and and the scoring totals, but then also you know the timely nature of the buckets or the timely nature of getting to the foul line. Yep. You know, I think that was something that Jordan was so so great at you talk about the intelligence the basketball IQ of recognizing okay the our opponents have gone on a little 4 or 60 run we need to halt the momentum i'm just going to drive in put my head down and, and get a foul slow the game down i'm going to take and make these two free throws you know and momentum has stopped yeah it was very very impressive i also want to say too like you know it's kind of old school we're we're in the analytic era it's all about threes and getting those easy twos and here's a player who's getting a significant portion of his points from the mid-range. Yeah. You know, uh, just like Jordan, especially towards the end of his career. Uh, and surprising touch from Kawhi. And all, so many of these, you know, he's doing little pull-ups, step-backs, fadeaways, even from the post. He had some similar Jordan-esque moves down there. But great touch, even with a hand in his face. You know, some shots that seem like they're going out and they end up rolling in. Yeah, and speaking of touch, of course, that Game 7 of the Philly series where the ball bounces <laughs> on the rim about 17 times, uh, he, he has some sort of natural feel to, to put the right spin on the ball so that it always goes, uh, you know, gives him the good bounce. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yes, he, uh, it was fun to, to see you watch that. I, I, you, I heard a lot of oohs and ahs <laughs> as, we were, uh, as I was showing you those games. But yeah. uh, Anthony, this was a lot of fun. It was great to have you back on the pod. It, uh, it's uh, you know, some, a lot of good memories, and I, I owe you for even getting this podcast started. So <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me back. Hope to do it again in the future. This was fun. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me. Uh, on Twitter, at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g-bouguet at onu.edu. 
So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program. And uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers. Or the DMV. Number 97. Or house cleaning. Or... Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com Internet for details.